are delighted to partner with Jane Plan, the UK's leading weight management system, for this season. Use unique code TWC50 for an incredible £50 off at www.janeplan.com. That it's about making information not just accessible, but rooted in their cultural beliefs and also understanding that their lived-in experience is really, really valuable to how they interpret healthcare and what they feel that they should do. Because let's face it, you guys know this already, women know their bodies and they know it so well. We've got to stop patronising women when it comes to understanding their own bodies really and saying, look, what you're going through is real. Here's the science behind it. Welcome to Two Women Chatting. I'm Michelle. And I'm Liz. And we're back after the break. And this is our first episode of season five. Season five, five. Liz. That's really impressive, isn't it? Oh my gosh. I'm just, I'm thrilled to be here after all these other episodes. And we wanted to start off with quite a powerful topic, really, that we both feel quite strong about. And that is heart disease, specifically in women. It's going to be a good one, an interesting one, and one I think I need to listen to. I think we both do because, I mean, we've got age. I'm overweight, always fighting that. And I know that would help. Always fighting the Chardonnay as well. And I know that would help. But I don't know whether people generally realise that it is the number one killer of women in the UK and the US. And 3.6 million women in the UK die of heart disease. That sounds really high, but it's principles age, we I might suppose. Have to take we, that stat out. We, women do live longer than men, so maybe it's as you get older. Twice as many women die of heart disease than breast cancer. Oh my god! I know, but it's one of the things we don't know about, do we? That's the point. We're not told about. Well, it's not only we don't know about it; it's kind of one of those silent killers. I think one of the big things is that women miss the signs. Yeah, they the mi- symptoms, yeah, because our symptoms are so different to men and we have a different pain threshold to mm. men yeah, that's a good point yeah. um we ignore things we put other people first and we don't attend to our own health mm. i mean there's a there's a lot but i am beyond thrilled that we've got dr nigat arif with us because she i love her i think she's so great <laughs> and i know it's really pathetic but she the way that she interacts with people the way that she gets the message across I'll talk to her about this, but she just did this crazy TikTok to the Little Mermaid and she just talks about really awkward stuff and like vaginal atrophy and just makes it. (laughs) No, really. She's a massive proponent for women's health and she really helps people not just in English, but those who speak Urdu and Punjabi. And you'll hear more from her because she's well known for this, but she's such an ambassador for well-being of women in all ways. And she's just written this book called The Knowledge and it is from um, menstruation to menopause. And it's clear, it's concise, it's a great book. Every woman should have one. It's kind of like the Bible of women's health, if you like. And I'm just thrilled that she said that she would come on and, and have a chat to us, specifically in this case about female coronary disease. Honestly, you should watch her anyway on TikTok, on Instagram, on all sorts of things, because she is she's she so relatable, relatable and approachable and, mm. and just an absolute sweetheart. So let's invite her in. 
So I'm really delighted that we've got Dr. Nigat Arif joining us on the podcast today. And honestly, it feels like we both know you because we've been following you for a long time. Um, but Dr. Arif is a family GP with 15 years of NHS experience and runs her own private practice. She's got a special interest in, in women's health and family planning and menopause care, which, of course, we're really interested in. She's the resident TV doctor on BBC Breakfast, ITV's This Morning and BBC Look East. And I don't know how you do this as well, but Sunday Breakfast Show on BBC Three Counties Radio. She is award-winning, being the recipient of the Point of Light Prime Minister's Award for her exceptional service to women's health, as well as the recipient of the 2023 Honorary She Award for her outstanding work around women's health and an ambassador for well-being of women and the Good Grief Trust, which we support. We chatted to Linda Magistris a while back. So now, in her spare time, she's become an author with her new book called The Knowledge, Your Guide to Female Health, from menstruation to the menopause, which is designed to help everyone better understand each of the three key stages of a woman's life, the puberty years, the fertility years, or the perimenopausal years. And you help by just getting to know the female body by explaining what's normal, what to expect, how to care for yourself. It's such a brilliant, it's kind of like the Bible of women's health, really, isn't it? Oh, and um, she's a hands-on mum to three young kids. So, Welcome. Oh, my goodness. That was an introduction and a half. My imposter syndrome's going, that doesn't sound like me. Who are they talking about? <laughs> it's definitely not imposter syndrome. You are an extraordinary doctor. What, one of the things I love about you is you make everything so accessible and fun. I don't think I've ever seen you without a smile. Um, you do brilliant reels. What was that Little Mermaid on TikTok the other day? You're crazy. You're absolutely bonkers. Wes Anderson. Oh, I love Wes Anderson movies. Who doesn't love them? But by doing that, you really make things very easy to engage with and understand and enjoy and want to follow you and listen to you, which obviously is the point. I'll let you into a secret, actually, because I'm really dyslexic. So uh, when I um, have to digest information... Um, I have to break it down into little bite-sized chunks. And then I am very a visual, I'm a very visual individual. So when I was making uh, all my content and particularly writing my book, The Knowledge as well, everything is done in a very bite-sized TikTok style. So when, even before TikTok came along, I did my medical degree in that bite-sized 30 seconds to a minute sort of chunks of information being dyslexic. And then when TikTok came along properly in the pandemic and we were all under lockdown and everybody was doing silly little dances and I had patients who were phoning me going, I know there's a virus and I know people are really sick, but, and it would always be, I'm at home looking after my children, doing homeschooling, but my periods, I'm flooding through, or I've got terrible endometriosis pain, or I've got cramps which are really impacting me. We're having sex and actually I'm getting pain after sex or before sex or I'm bleeding or I've noticed a lump in my breast or a whole range of symptoms that women actually don't think about. And I thought to myself, how can I access these women? Because I'm talking to one person on the phone, as it was at the time, because lockdown had happened and we were doing phone and video consultations. And how can I get more information out there so that um, I'm sort of getting to thousands and thousands of people rather than one person? My sister, who's a dentist, said, why do you want to make a TikTok about vaginal dryness? Because TikToks are, are about young girls. Yeah, why would now I think about it, why wouldn't you? But at the time, it was doing sort of silly dances. 
And uh, I was like, do you know what? I think this would be perfect because I want to get through to younger audiences because they will tap into their parents or, you know, aunties and un uncles, even men need to know about this, their mums and dads. And that's where health information can get through. And that's really where I started making it. And I've learned it all myself. So it's, it's something I was doing before I even realised I was, what I was doing. <laughs> That makes sense. Well, I'm in awe I because Liz say, and yeah. I really struggle on social media. <laughs> uh, well, but, it, but, but it does get across that way. That's what's so good. It makes it, you know, accessible. I think that's a really good yeah, idea. Yeah, it's nice. We really, like the captions yeah. and the... Nice and simple. Yeah. Yeah. And and the joy of it is I actually really enjoy making it. So even the Little Mermaid one um, was at the end of my surgery and I lip sync quite a lot. I, and that comes from watching Bollywood movies when I was younger. I came to the UK when I was nine, so I had to learn English. And the way I used to learn English, because I'm dyslexic, was watch people on TV and see how their lips moved. So, <laughs> and then watch, when you watch Bollywood movies, all they're doing is lip syncing to songs. And so that sort of went on and on throughout my childhood. And it's something that we've always done, actually, as a family, when I look back. And so, uh, again, that trend of having a, an earworm, a song that sticks in your head. And my children have recently seen The Little Mermaid. So it's the first Black Little Mermaid full of representation. It's a fantastic movie if someone hasn't seen it. But also it actually tackles a lot of feministic issues, uh, lots of uh, issues around um, how do we perceive the world and is it now a monochrome colour or is it multicultural? And I think now we're heading towards a society where everybody from all cultures want equality but not just equality they want equity as well so give me information that means something to my culture and my heritage so what i did with tiktok was provide information in different languages because i thought how i know that information's out there but actually how do i get through to the pakistani woman who might have vaginal atrophy who doesn't speak english because it's her first language you know because it's not her first language but her children probably all speak english in the house but how does she have access to it when there's a pandemic. And so it's about equity of health. And so what I do with my content is do it in different languages. So I say, I didn't become TikTok famous. I actually became WhatsApp famous. So <laughs> what I realized is that my TikToks were coming up with the, um, the captions and also the subtitles in, Urdu, in English, because I was speaking Urdu or Punjabi talking about vagina dryness, which my sister hates. And, <laughs> and then for, 16, 17 year olds are on the app and they say, oh, this woman who wears a hijab is talking like my mums and my grandma speak around the family dinner table or the coffee table when we meet together for, you know, prayers, etc. And I can understand it because it's also written in English at the same time. So then they would download it and put it in the family WhatsApp group, which would be groups of families in sort of like Canada, you know, in US and Pakistan or India and so when lockdown actually finished and I was shopping one day in my local Sainsbury's and a woman excitedly followed me around every aisle and I just thought oh my goodness like is she a patient like have I forgotten something that I should have done with her because <laughs> I never know like what's going on and um, she stopped me and she said Dr Nikat, Dr Nikat, I just have to tell you that my family in New Zealand adore your content because we're actually sharing, we've got 80, 90 people in this WhatsApp group and all women, and we share your content. So that's how I realized that it's about making information not just accessible, but rooted in their cultural beliefs. And also understanding that their lived in experience is really, really valuable to how they interpret healthcare and what they feel 
that they should do because let's face it, you guys know this already, women know their bodies and they know it so well. And so we've got to stop patronizing women when it comes to understanding their own bodies really and saying, look, what you're going through is real. Here's the science behind it. Oh gosh, I can see why you got the award for for women's health and being such an incredible ambassador. You really are so accessible and so easy to talk to her. Yeah. I think I would spill my guts to you, to be honest. I'm very <laughs> nosy, by the way. <laughs> You're very nosy. That's a good thing to ask the questions. You you mentioned there um, about accessibility for different people, different genders. One of the things that Liz and I really wanted to ask you about in particular today, you cover so much in your in your book, The Knowledge, but one of the things um, that we feel very strongly about and want to, to share with our listening community is heart attacks in women, cardiac disease and um, heart disease in women. And I believe there's 3.6 million women in the UK who have heart disease. It's the number one killer of women in the US and the UK, one in three deaths per year, twice as much as breast cancer, 30,000 people, 30,000 women have heart attacks and end up in hospital. But we're different, aren't we? The way that we have symptoms for so long, I think we've, we've talked about the symptoms that are seen in men, but women are different. And we really, really want to share your knowledge in in what women should be looking for and how to prevent it in the first place. Could you could you share some of your knowledge? See what I did there. <laughs> I do. Co- oh, well done. That was so clever. <laughs> I love that link. <laughs> um, and I covered this in my book, actually, because um, how often have we heard about women having heart attacks? It's usually the man who's had a heart attack. We'll tell each other about breast cancer. I feel that at the moment I'm in this sort of precipice where all we hear about women is menopause, births, we hear about period problems, and then we hear about breast cancer or cervical screening, but we don't really actually mention heart attacks at all when it's still, as the statistics you were saying, uh, is the number one color. And then even that, distill that down into black and Asian communities, cardiovascular disease is actually still, and type two diabetes, high blood pressure, affects black and Asian communities even more and even more when it comes to black and Asian women. So let's go back a little bit of Why do we not even take heart attack as something that women can even have? Well, all the studies that were done, the very early studies, were done on men. And still, unfortunately, when it comes to research, men are usually the first individuals that they'll research on. And then, unfortunately, when it comes to research and data, women are seen as just little men. (laughs) And we're not like that because we have periods. uh, Our hormones fluctuate. uh, We transition from our pubertal years into our midlife years, we get pregnant, we have miscarriages, unfortunately, and then we transition into perimenopause, menopause and postmenopause for the rest of our life. So that transition is seen as that's a variable that we can't monitor very well. I'm being very patronizing here, but essentially the research world has said we can't sort of account for women's periods, although they've been literally happening for millions of years since a woman has been on this earth but they can't account for that. So the research default is, well, we can control men's bodies. We can understand what's going on because they don't have periods. And unfortunately, that means that the signs and symptoms are just superimposed onto women, completely missing that we're cyclical beings. We have estrogen, progesterone, which fluctuates on a monthly basis. Um, 
And like I said, we might be even taking some contraceptives to stop some cycles that we might be having. And then we have other conditions that come along like endometriosis or polycystic ovary syndrome, which again might affect the androgen levels in our body. And there's no accounting for that. So unfortunately, men and women do, we now know, have different symptoms. And the reason those statistics are so shocking is because we're just missing women. We're just completely missing the signs and symptoms as healthcare professionals and as a society as a whole. Is that because you think sometimes some of these signs and symptoms could be confused with menopause symptoms? So we just like bypass them and package them all up in one perimenopausal menopausal deal for women. Oh, Michelle, that is so good that you said that. In fact, I think we miss perimenopause altogether as well. (laughs) I can't think of it being on the differential list of diagnoses uh, up until, well, I want to say the Davina effect. I mean, I adore Davina, but, uh, you know, since the noise has really been made by individuals like yourself and Davina and incredible campaigners as well. So that's really now as doctors, we're thinking, hang on, the symptoms could overlap. And yes, symptoms do overlap because nothing's clear cut. But let's look at the symptoms, what happens in a man. So, and these aren't just gender specific. We know that there are specific symptoms which can be both genders. But if you go back to what I said earlier, the research was first started on men and that research and those symptoms have just carried on the list of symptoms. So it's central pain, which goes into the left side of the chest, which either goes up into the jaw and down the left arm. You feel like a crushing pain, almost like an elephant is sitting on your chest. You feel a discolor. You will probably see in your loved one, or if you're around your work colleagues or wherever you are, the person will have a discoloration to their face, either grey or motley coloured. Because if you think about it, if you've had a heart attack, there's probably been a blockage, or that there's been a bursting of a vessel. And then also, you can experience some shoulder tip pain, so shoulder between between the shoulder blades, the pain there as well. And a lot of people will sometimes complain of indigestion type pain. So those are sort of the classical symptoms that we were drilled into at medical school. You know, someone comes in clutching their heart with pain going down their left arm, always think of a heart attack. (laughs) However, in women, um, it's not like that. It's really subtle. Um, And it's going to be sort of women don't actually complain of pain. They complain of an ache. They might get flu-like symptoms. They might actually get left-sided shoulder pain or even right-sided. They might actually get a central ache. Women don't complain of pain, and I'll come back to that uh, later on. And they might actually complain of, say, between the shoulder blades. That's their most common, or maybe just even a slight joy. I remember as a medical student, a a patient of ours had done um, one or two rounds with different doctors, and she'd seen one, one consultant who said, I don't think this is a heart attack. This is muscular pain. She'd seen another doctor. And this is now day five. And she's keep coming back going, I don't feel very well. Um, and then she collapsed at home and was taken into A&E and found out that she had four vessel cardiovascular blockages. And she had a heart attack, essentially. And we... She saw a number of doctors. It's not like she wasn't coming to see the doctors. She was, but we missed it. And it's because she never complained of the classical symptoms, that central chest pain going into the left arm, going into the left side of the chest. And I think that that's why we need to be really clear that women have subtler signs and just be, I keep coming back to it, listen to women, like listen to them, please. 
If, like me, you're looking to lose weight, then take a look at Jane Plan. Jane Plan is the UK's leading weight management system that creates deliciously healthy meals and delivers them direct to your door. Together with their nutritionist support, you'll lose weight, feel healthier, happier and more in control. For good. Created by nutritionist Jane Michelle, Jane Plan is the easy and healthy way to lose weight. All your breakfasts, lunch, dinners and snacks are designed by their nutritionists. They're pre-prepared, perfectly portioned and nutritious. Jane Plan takes the worry away when it comes to managing your weight. There's no calorie counting, no weighing, no complicated recipes to follow and virtually no shopping either. In fact, all you need to do is heat and eat. And with personalised support from their qualified nutritionists, you'll join over 100,000 Jane planners who have lost weight and kept it off. So if you think you just can't lose weight, then think again. Join me and go to janeplan.com, quote TWC50 for your exclusive £50 discount. That's www.janeplan.com. And follow my progress on Instagram. Let's do this together. We, I think women have an exceptional, I'll call it a spidey sense, mm, that, that yeah. we have an intuition. And I think for so long that is, we suppress that. And, you know, our pain levels, we kind of ignore them because mm. we just get on with things. It's a bit like the whole man cold concept, isn't it? You know, oh, God, I'm dying. Oh, you know, I'm dying. I've got a cold. And for us, it's just like, you know, take a lemsip and get on with it. And I know that's a generalization, but do you think the way that women cope with pain or uh, assign some kind of pain level could be why occasionally it's missed. There's a brilliant research article that was done, actually, that looked at how pain is managed in A&E uh, when it comes to the different genders. And if a woman goes in, she's more likely to be given a weaker pain relief or wait longer to get pain relief because somehow women are thought to be uh, able to cope with pain because, well, from the, the moment they start puberty, which is now sort of the age of 10, uh, they are used to having pain because they get cyclical pain every month and then they have childbirth and women are, you know, if you didn't have an epidural, you, I hate saying this, but you were the strongest woman and you mm. were a strong woman. Badge you of honour. Yeah, badge of honour. There's a real judgment call made by society as a whole because giving a natural birth and enduring pain is something that women have to do. And then also later on as well, if we go into menopausal years, things like vaginal atrophy is so embarrassing. So getting the ache around the vulva and vaginal area or even splitting of your, say, episiotomy scar, which is some women might have had if they'd had a difficult birth. Well, that's something that you should be able to put up. And actually, I think we do put up with a lot. It's not an easy or comfortable conversation to have about pain because most of it is centralised around our womb or our breast or our vagina, which are hyper-sexualized uh, bits of our anatomy in society anyway. Nobody wants to talk about breast pain. The minute you say breast pain, they're thinking of something really sort of, it, it, again, you're sort of allowing someone to have access to your body, which we don't want people to have willy-nilly. We don't want them to have access to us because the government has access to us constantly. Look at Roe versus Wade. You know, choices about our bodies are being made consistently. Whereas men actually... Suddenly, when they do get affected, say a virus, uh, they're very vocal about it. And they will tell you because it's not something that they, that's not their lived in experience. That's not their norm. The other time I saw suddenly people come up in arms was COVID. Suddenly men were being told something about their bodies. They had to wear masks. I mean, for goodness sake, men had to be controlled by the government. 
I'm being really like satirical and sarcastic here because I I remember talking to my husband about it and he in a very very early doors and saying I don't understand why I have to wear a mask and I said welcome to a woman's world who's constantly being told by governments what she can and can't do when she can have pain relief when she can't have pain relief and when she can talk about something what access she's able to have this is our lived in experiences women and I think that um this is where as a society we've got to a point where finally women have said enough hence why you're talking about heart attack symptoms on your podcast i can remember as a junior doctor or even as a trainee doctor never even having any of these conversations mm well same with menopause really wasn't it yeah. that gps were just not specifically trained to about menopause that's that's what I was about to ask you know what advice would you give if a woman goes to a doctor with the type of symptoms that you've just said about you know possibly for a heart attack what would you ask to have done you know check what check it's a really good question actually that you asked me Liz uh, what can what can we do to advocate for ourselves and I think this goes for everybody that is listening to this podcast regardless of your age uh, your ethnicity or your level of education that you might have or level of awareness of your body and this is what I talk about in my book as well knowledge because I want to people it's written in a very um, simple style without <coughs> sorry without that much um, jargon either because I'm dyslexic I try and remove as much jargon as I possibly can and I have a five point plan and I will very very quickly run through that I always say please number 1 keep a symptom diary because you know your body the best so write down your symptoms really carefully because once you're in the doctor's office or the nurse's office it's really easy to forget number 2 when you're phoning the receptionist on the nhs this is because i work as an nhs doctor and you're speaking to the receptionist she will ask you questions because she wants to triage you really carefully and so if you've looked at the symptoms and you think these are all my symptoms actually don't be embarrassed to tell her because she might want to consider giving you on the day appointment with a doctor and if you as a patient have a concern that this could be heart attack say it like don't think oh i'm not the expert here yes you are you are the expert of your body say I think that I might be having a heart attack type symptom and I need a doctor to see me. And then number 3, please take a loved one with you. I have no qualms about partners, friends, girlfriends, your boss at work. If any of them want to come in the consultation room to be there because they would support you by all means take them with you. Number 4, on the consultation take your list of symptoms and then don't expect that a diagnosis will be handed to you straight there. because when it comes to even chest pain or like they're so subtle they can overlap with musculoskeletal pain something called costochondritis rib pain indigestion menopausal symptoms as we were saying earlier so it could be that i need to send you as a doctor for a whole battery of tests and then find the diagnosis because even on an ecg sometimes we can miss the changes because the changes are so subtle but if we have a high level of suspicion then what we do is we every area in the UK has what are called rapid chest pain access clinics so that's where i would refer most of my patients i would refer, refer them to the rapid chest pain clinic and say i've got a woman these are her risk factors her family history she's a smoker she drinks a lot she's overweight um her dad had a heart attack um she's uh, postmenopausal because we know not on hrt because we know being postmenopausal age can be a risk factor as well now So there's there's quite a lot of different things that I would have to then say this is a patient that I need to be seeing in this clinic. And then number number 4 is that 
always never sort of uh, feel that um, you can't ask, so number five, sorry, that you can't ask the doctor any questions. Write down a list of questions and then follow up with that same doctor. So if you really like that GP, so say you saw Dr. McGat and you were like, she's terrible. I'm never seeing her again. (laughs) Um, Go and see someone else. (laughs) Otherwise, at reception, as you're leaving, book a follow-up clinic because all NHS GPs will have routine appointments three to six weeks in advance. So by that time, your test results could have come back. If you were sent to the rapid access chest pain clinic, all those bits can come back and you can have continuity of care uh, with the same GP. I know that doesn't work everywhere, but those are my really quick handy tips. I hadn't heard of the rapid chest no, pain clinic at all. No, yeah. no um, we do have um, them. So Dr. Nigat, with the women, so can you just give us the very important um, factors that people should look at? Because I've heard vomiting is one of them. Is that right? Nausea? Some of these things that you don't necessarily experience as, as men, um, but women tend to get them. Just any other red flags that we should look out for? So really, actually, it's a subtlety of signs. So I said the classic symptoms of pain going into the left arm, into the left side of the chest, a jaw ache on the left side, or could it be on the right side as well? Uh, Pain going in between the shoulder blades, something called a shoulder tip pain. There are indigestion type symptoms. And yes, that can bring on vomiting, nausea. Um, It can even bring on reflux type symptoms as well. Uh, then there are other sort of really subtler signs. So uh, rarer signs, not so common, but more in women, dizziness, um, uh, feeling of vertigo. Um, so what I sort of say, we give an umbrella term in medicine, almost like flu-like symptoms. So a patient thinks that she's got flu. I've got dizziness, I've got vertigo, I've got an ache in my chest. I'm also feeling achy all over. But actually, we should always be considering on our differential diagnosis, could this be a viral infection? But we should also be putting on their, um, you know, chest symptoms, uh, that this could be cardiovascular related as well. And it's the fact that not, we're just not even thinking that this could be cardiovascular related in women, which means that we're leaving these women, unfortunately. And it's, as you said earlier in the statistics, it's the number one killer for women. So now if we've read the knowledge and we've got, we understand the symptoms a bit more, should we, and I know this is kind of a bit old fashioned, but should we take an aspirin at the first sign of those before we even get to the doctor? Will that help us in the in the very short term? Oh, that's really contentious, actually. That that's that we in the medical world we've sort of gone toing and froing uh, in regards to taking aspirin if we think it's a heart attack. There used to be a time when we used to say, "Yeah, three hundred milligrams," but actually, because most heart attacks are going to be blockages, right? Because you've got cholesterol that's blocking up the artery. And so what you want to do is thin the blood in order to make sure that you can assist with that. And that could give by you time before you get to the hospital. Then there was a huge fallback of that because what they were saying, oh, but what if you've had a bleed? Then you will just perpetuate that bleed further by taking aspirin and you're taking 300 milligrams. And so then it was sort of argued, no, we should, if someone's got symptoms, they should be seen within the one you know, get an ambulance, uh, call 999, and it's the golden hour. And within that golden hour, we should be able to assess someone if they need a stent or if they need angioplasty or if they need medications to assist with that. I think my number one advice would be before you reach for the aspirin, um, please get urgent care. So speak to a doctor, uh, speak to an ambulance crew, speak to a nurse, even if that's the nurse practitioner at the hospital and say, I think I might be having chest-related symptoms. So that's your number one thing. Be guided by them because they would know your other history because sometimes you can't you might not be able to take aspirin 
if you're taking certain other medications. Um, and so it's sort of left in the air in the medical world whether you take aspirin straight away or not, because I think it's a bit more contentious. But if you were going to take something between 75 to 300 milligram um, aspirin uh, in order to help some of your symptoms. Right. And I have one more point that um, I recently read that the risk of heart attack increases after menopause because of its relationship between estrogen protecting you against heart disease. So often women might get heart disease or heart attacks approximately 10 years later than a man might. Is, is that approximately true? Yeah, so th- this is again an area which is little research, but we need definitely more on. It's because um, there's a thought that estrogen is actually cardiovascular protective. So that means, so I've, in my years of training, um, have sort of likened estrogen to this lovely lubricating hormone. We have estrogen receptors everywhere from our head to our toe, and we need it. And so what it does is it allows the laxicity in our blood vessels. It, it's what our immune system uses as an immune modulator. It's what our brain uses in its blood vessels to keep it lovely and replenished. It's what our vulvar and vaginal anatomy use to keep the strength in our pelvic floors and also to keep the vaginal flora just lovely, well lubricated. And so that's why I sort of see it that way. So if we look at cardiovascular health, so yes, women um, actually get heart disease a lot later than men because we have good levels of estrogen but then as our estrogen drops postmenopausally or actually we now know that it starts happening in the perimenopausal years so that fluctuation happens then we think that it puts more pressure on our cardiovascular system so postmenopausal women so if you think about the national average age in the UK is about 52 53 which isn't that old actually if you can think about it and a woman isn't thinking about sort of um, keeping her weight down she might smoke she might be drinking more than her 14 units a week. She might have a, fa- a family history of, of first-degree relative of heart disease. Um, she might have other risk factors like high blood pressure that put her at the risk of a heart attack. Well, actually, then she's going into postmenopause. We should be counselling her into that phase of her life now because she'll be postmenopausal with lower levels of estrogen uh, for the rest of her life. So something really amazing happens uh, when we transition. Is that another tick in the box for HRT then, in your eyes, if that's right for that person? Yeah, so HRT, um, I prescribe HRT, and HRT is now showing that the benefits of taking it outweigh the risk. And actually, if women have, say, had a surgical menopause, so their ovaries and their womb removed, they should be on some form of low dose or dose that's appropriate for their symptoms, and they can take it lifelong, uh, estrogen on its own. So estrogen alone actually is really the data shows really great for cardiovascular health and also doesn't increase your background risk of say if you're taking estrogen alone for a surgical uh, a surgical menopause patient then your background risk if you're taking say something like body identical so that's a gel a patch or a spray uh, that background risk of breast cancer doesn't increase so we all have risk factors for lots of things we have risk factors for um you know, doing because our body is going to have certain illnesses as we get older because we have an aging skeleton. So if you look at the data really carefully, estrogen on its own for women who don't have a womb actually shows the benefits are brilliant when it comes to prevention of heart disease. Um, and for women who have a womb who take body identical estrogen and progesterone, so progesterone like eutrogestan, actually, again, 
if they start it in their perimenopausal years, um, so in their early 40s or early 50s, again, better data for cardiovascular prevention in the future. So it's about getting the timing for the woman as well. That's why I don't like this whole theory that women have is I'll plow on until I'm on my knees and then think about HRT. Actually, think about HRT as one of the tools in order to make you feel better, not just now, but for the future as well. Hmm. So for someone who cost me like me, um, you know, a lot of those risks that you just mentioned, I, I probably well, definitely have. What, what, but I feel perfectly healthy. Should I go to my doctor and, and mention that to her? It'll be because worth my mentioning. Father died, so my father died of a, of a heart attack at 52. I'm 59 now. I'm not an HRT. I'm not overweight. I don't smoke, but I probably drink too much. Um, is that is that quite a high? I'm not just me, but anyone, you know. <laughs> is it? Should I go and speak to them? So, Liz, that's a really good question. So my first thing would be actually HRT should be on your list of tools that you want to consider to give you a better quality of life. So we treat, uh, when it comes to HRT, it's about symptoms, really. So when it comes to prevention as well, then you need to weigh it up. And at the moment, the decision is left to the patient. So with you, if I was your doctor, I would say to you, well, actually, the first thing I would tackle is your alcohol. I'm sorry to say that, Liz. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't need you to become abstinent. I mean, that's not the point because, come on, you're allowed to have fun in life. I mean, that's really important. But I would look at if you're drinking, say, over the 14 units a week, how can you cut that? into half if you wanted to or maybe look at that maybe it's something that you have at certain special occasions what can you do to have a better relationship with alcohol and I think that we can always work on that I have a terrible relationship with chocolate so I'm with you on that one it's hard to give up some things and then I would be looking at really your physical health so I want to know what your body is like in regards to your blood pressure readings at the moment uh you said you're not overweight, which is absolutely fabulous, but how can you maintain that weight so that you don't increase? Because remember, I want to look after you until you're 100, not just now. I want to put in preventative measures right now. And then the other thing is, is yeah, family history is important. So family history would be, well, let's look at your diet as well. You can't run away from your genes, unfortunately. But if we know that on top of all of this, you're also having menopausal symptoms. So you say to me, Dr. Arif, I'm also having hot flushes, I'm night sweats, I'm just not motivated, I've got terrible bone, uh, bone sort of aches and pains which resists, which stops me from exercising the way I want to, I just have no motivation, I'm also getting um, sort of palpitations and I've been investigated and my cardiovascular tests show that I'm all right, then I would say to you, Liz, do you know what, I know we've done lifestyle discussions and we've talked about your alcohol intake, but maybe for your symptom control, should we also consider body identical low dose HRT because not is it only going to give you symptom control for now or make you have a good quality of life it might also help you in regards to cardiovascular protection in the future so it's a conversation really more than anything about having a informed choice with my patient um, because it it's not just one size fits all but it's not just the thing it's not a silver bullet that will say yes I'll go on HRT and like my dad, it will stop me from having a heart attack. Utter rubbish. If anyone sells you that, they're not a doctor that's worth listening to. It's about a conversation of taking a holistic approach for you. And you, Dr. Arif, are definitely a doctor worth listening to. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. I hesitate to go over our 30 minutes because I have a feeling you probably have a packed old schedule for the rest of today. So all I can say is thank you so much. 
Um, thank you for bringing the knowledge to women and womankind and husbands and sons, everybody who should read it. And um, keep fighting the way you do for menopause warriors everywhere. You are absolutely astonishing. And thank you for everything that you do. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I can't believe 30 minutes has gone so fast. That's incredible. I, know. But... <laughs> you're, you're, yeah. I could listen to you all day. I really no, could. I, How can people find you if they want to? Um, do you have a website or do you? I know you've got Instagram. Where can they watch your TikTok reels and little mermaid things? Good, little uh, silly things that I do. Um, but it's all educational. It's very it educational. Is, yeah. um, and uh, I, I'm on Instagram. So all my handles are at Dr. Dr. Nagat Arif. Um, I don't have a website. I'm not that fancy yet. Um, I maybe should get a website now. Yeah, you'll need one one day, me, I think. <laughs> maybe think about it. But yeah, I'm, I'm easily, now I've been told by my children, I'm very easily Googleable. So you can put my name mm. in as well. And all my bits and pieces come in, come up as well. So. And by the time this episode goes out, the knowledge will be available on Amazon and all good bookshops, right? Yes. And uh, publication date is 3rd of August. Um, and this is a labor of love. It took me, it was a book that was carrying, you know, everyone says that they have a book inside them, that, that theory. And I never really understood what that meant. But I think I had this book inside me for 10 years and I carried it around with me. And it was bits and pieces that I picked up as a junior doctor and then as a clinician uh, working as a GP. And then later on going off to do my training to become a GP, you know, a GP with a specialist interest. And I thought, you know, I can't just put up with the fact that we've always done things like this. I need to make sure that I make it somehow accessible and better because I'm saying the same conversation again and again and again to every person that comes in. And uh, I need to sort of somehow harness that. And so uh, along with my TikToks, this is how the knowledge came about. And now I'm feeling the weight of the, the title because you said mm -hmm. the Bible earlier and I was just thinking, yeah. oh, that's actually like really scary. <laughs> That's really knowledge as well, isn't it? Yeah, that's like really scary because some suddenly people think I have the knowledge, and honestly, this isn't this isn't mine to keep. This is, as I keep saying in my in my book repeatedly, is this is my gift to everybody to have. So, from the daughter to the mother to the grandchild to the husband to the father to the sons in the family unit, um, to all know about every woman that they come into contact with that this is something that they should know about. And I'm always reminded of cycles. And as women, we go through cycles constantly. And Colleen Hoover is a, uh, a writer. And she wrote something really significant. In fact, I still got it on my surgical, on my wall in my surgery. And she wrote about pain that women go through. And she wrote, my grandmother went through this. My mother went through this. I'm going through it. And I'll be damned if my daughter goes through this. And I think that sort of encapsulates why the knowledge that we have as women inherently about our bodies should be continuously passed on because we don't want our daughters still be having the conversations and the frustrations and the battles whether it be heart disease or heart attacks or menopausal symptoms or endometriosis you know 10 years from now on and that is a good note to end on <laughs> thank you thank you thank you You're so welcome. much I don't know what to say, really. I'm so in awe of her, actually. 
yeah, she's she is delightful. And that is really food for thought. It should give us all pause, really, to think about our lifestyles and what we can do to improve our health. And if we have niggles, I know people don't feel like they can go and get a GP appointment very easily these days. But I think a preemptive strike helps the NHS in the end. If you can get on top of, you know, your, you know, where your benchmark is, are you having any of these early signs and symptoms? Could you do something about it? Surely it's better to approach your GP and have that conversation than end up in a hospital bed for weeks or worse, you know, yeah. dead. It's a sombering. I think women do keep their heads in the sand a bit. And I'm the first to admit I do. You know, you don't take things seriously. And um, we've got to. Well, we owe it to ourselves and to our families. I was going to say friends, to my family, yeah, definitely. They won't thank us for not putting our health first and, you know, not getting these things checked out. You know, consider HRT. It's never too late, as she told you. Yeah. It may not be right for everybody. And we would never dream of trying to come across as medical experts in any way on this podcast. But I think what we can do is shine a light on some conditions, diseases, charitable causes that are really worth talking about and, and you know, discussing with our friends. One word to a friend or one noticing a heart attack symptom in your friend, colleague, wife, whoever it is, that could completely save a life. Well, it's just educating. As she said about, you know, women is ten, normally 10 years later than men have um, these symptoms. Well, that is or frightening. Or could be prone to yeah, uh, probably, heart yeah. attack. I mean, that is really frightening because you just wouldn't... I mean, would there just be a quiz or something on it, really? I mean, a little bit of a quiz. Maybe I'll do that on the website. What, do you have these kind of symptoms? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? Because it, it, you don't, they are so different. Well, I do know that our internet ferret, <laughs> do you remember that from a year ago or something? But Liz, yeah. our internet ferret will go down the... The, 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 the route, ferret route. The ferret route, <laughs> the, the ferret rabbit, rabbit hole. Rabbit How many hole. animals can we get involved yeah. in? Yeah, but you'll I'll go do, tunneling. Yeah. But you'll do all the resources and, and stuff. So please come on our website, twowomenchatting.com, to just look at some of these symptoms try and remember some of the ones that perhaps men don't show think about that uncomfortable pressure the squeezing the pain in the center of the chest that's kind of classic but the shoulder pain and the jaw the jaw pain as well yeah and you and you may not get all of them you may get one of them you might get that feeling of indigestion or something that's why you've got to go and see your gp yeah if, if you're out, worried be bottom line go and see mm. your gp and uh, get a bit more information from us on our website. We can just send you in the right direction. We're not experts at all, but we're learning. And But more the fact is we collate the information, then you can make your own decisions. Yeah. So do keep well, everybody, and uh, look after each other. And that's all from us. Chat soon. Thanks for listening to Two Women Chatting with our special guests. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you left a rating and review. Even better, share with your friends. And please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. There's a link on our Instagram bio and Facebook pages.